All right, well, I'm excited to preach to you this morning, but uh, wave at me if you were at First Wednesday. If you guys were at First Wednesday with Bob Sorge, oh my word, what an incredible, uh, incredible, <laughs> incredible time we had. Man, I was touched in such a deep way over here. Uh, the Lord just moved in such a special way. And as we kicked off this worship series this past week, I want to say again that worship is not about us. It's all about Him. Come on, amen? Worship is not about us. It's all about Him. That we should never make worship about anything other than Jesus. Do you agree? with me this morning, that we should never make worship about anything other than Jesus. Worship shouldn't be dictated by our style or the way we want it to be, amen? It shouldn't be dictated by that. It's all about Him, because your Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 3, that God inhabits the praises of His people, amen? Have you heard that before? That God inhabits the praises of His people, not the complaints. God inhabits the praises of his people, not the complaints. Amen? Again, it's not about us in worship. It's about him. It's not about our style. It's about his glory and his fame. Amen. Say law. Look to your neighbor and say, did you hear it? Amen? All right. So this morning I'm talking to you about the, t- the subject, the title, Don't Forget. Don't Forget. The definition of worship is the feeling or expression or reverence and adoration for God. I want to let you know this morning that there is never anything too great you can give God. There is never going to be a moment in your life where you regret giving too much to God. You're never going to say you gave him too much, but you definitely, hear me now, can find yourself saying you didn't give him enough. You'll never say you gave him too much, but if you're not careful, you can find yourself in a place where you didn't give him enough. You can never give God too much worship. You can never pray too much. You can never give too much. Amen? You know, there's this thing, and and I believe it, that uh, when we're talking about giving, 10% belongs to the Lord. We understand that. We believe the principle of the tithe, the blessing of the tithe, Um, but we also have to understand something. I've heard terrible teaching on this, and it's, well, 10% is the Lord's, and 90% is mine. That's not true. God is testing you for the 10%. Amen. It's a test. But the reality is the 90% is not yours. All of it is God's. 100% of your money belongs to the Lord. 100% of your resources. 100% of your time. 100% of everything that you are belongs to the Lord. Can I get a witness in here? Amen. He deserves it all. Your life, your family, your finances, your time. He is worthy of it all. But let's get into the text. If you have your Bible this morning, I encourage you to open it up or go to the Bible app, or you can look on the screen. Amen. Are you grateful for screens? Come on, somebody. I'm grateful for screens and how they've reached, you know, helped us so much, but it sometimes it kind of made us a little lazy in reading the Bible, but I'm grateful we have a screen. Um, I was at a service not long ago, and I didn't bring my Bible, and it was with a bunch of pastors, and I was just like, oh, man, forgot my Bible, and they had it on the screen, and they stopped rebuked me. Where's your Bible, young preacher? I forgot it, man. We didn't have these screens when we started preaching. Well, I started when you didn't start. But anyway, anyway, I I took the rebuke, and it got into me, and I was just like, Lord, never again will I go anywhere 
without the Bible. And I encourage all of us, buy a real Bible, amen, with some paper in it that you can open up, put your nose in, and read it, amen. And aren't you grateful for mentors in your life? I'm grateful for mentors, amen. Well, if you have your Bible, go to the book of Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 48. I'm coming to you in the NLT. I believe today God has put something on my heart, has highlighted something to me that you might have never seen before. And if you have, you're amazing. And if you haven't, you're amazing. But anyway, let's go to 7, 36 through 48, the book of Luke. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman came from the city, she heard he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man, talking about Jesus, he was saying this about Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. I love this part right here. Then Jesus answered his his thoughts. That's powerful. Then Jesus answered his thinking. Jesus answered his thoughts and said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, go ahead, teacher. His hiney got tight. Out of nowhere, his, 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 this thought, he didn't know, and Jesus calls him out on it. Have you ever been in a moment where Jesus has called you out on something? I sure have. And, and Simon said, go ahead, teacher. The Jesus told him a story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more than more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, catch that, your home, Simon, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You, Simon, didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You, Simon, neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. It cost her something. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Come on, aren't you grateful this morning that our sins are forgiven? No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've messed up, I love this. Jesus says, her sins are forgiven. They are many, but her sins are forgiven. Come on, I know mine were many, amen? but I'm grateful this morning that my sins are forgiven. But here in this moment, I want to reflect on this radical expression of worship that this woman brought into the room. It changed the atmosphere. I mean, it changed the entire setting. Everything changed when this woman comes onto the scene. You see, all four Gospels reflect this story. We find it in Matthew 26. We find it in Mark 14. We find it in John 12, and then we are here in Luke 7. Most of the time, we preach this story from one of the other accounts, but I felt the Lord leading me 
to preach on Luke's account this week. You see, the majority of the time, like I said, we preach the story from other accounts, but there is something powerful in the story in which Dr. Luke writes to us. You see, Mary comes onto the scene with her worship and her alabaster box, and we usually take time to highlight Mary and the importance and the power of what she's doing But today I want to highlight another character to you this morning. Today I want to talk about the guy that Jesus heard his thoughts and rebuked him. Today I want to talk to you about the man named Simon. Can you say Simon this morning? You see, Jesus is invited to Simon's house. Again, this is Simon who, according to Dr. Luke, is a Pharisee. And according to Matthew and Mark, if, you, if you've read this story in all four Gospels, Matthew and Mark says he is a leper. But Dr. Luke says he is a Pharisee. And according to John's Gospel, John refers to this man as the father of Judas. There is a message in this thing. I could go about a million light years on that one. But according to John, he is the father of Judas. What we know for sure is that Simon lived in a place called Bethany. And almost assuredly, Simon the leper that Matthew and Mark referred to him as was one of the hundreds of people whom Jesus had healed during his ministry. In any case, Simon the leper could not have been leprous at the time Jesus visited his home. Because according to Leviticus 13.46, lepers were considered unclean and must live outside the camp or the city. They were to live alone and could not dwell inside the house. And catch this, anyone who attended a meal with a leper would have been, would have been considered unclean also. This makes many scholars believe and proclaim that the Lord had healed Simon of his leprosy because Simon is hosting all these people at his house. It only makes sense that he was one of the ones that God healed. And in an act of gratitude, the cured man welcomed Jesus and his disciples into his home for dinner. Again, each one of the Gospels testify of this story. The woman who is unworthy, who has issues, she has come, guns a-blazing, into the room. She is now on the scene. She is pouring her love on Jesus, expressing her worship to him in this radical way. She has moved Jesus deeply. She's not concerned about the rest of the disciples in the house. She's not concerned about Simon. All she's concerned about is Jesus. But what's fascinating, friend, is Simon. Simon is what's fascinating to me in Luke's account because it seems that Simon has forgotten. It seems Simon has forgotten. You see, he makes this statement in verse 39. If this man, talking about Jesus, were a prophet, he would have known what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm studying this passage of Scripture, Simon, you are dumb. You are dumb. Because it wasn't that long ago. You were a leper. Simon, it wasn't that long ago. You were literally an outcast. You were unclean, so much so you couldn't even be in the city. 
So much so no one could get around you or they were considered unclean. And now you have the audacity to stand here and tell somebody else that they're unclean. You forgot. I'm studying this and I'm just getting this righteous anger coming up in me. Simon, you hypocrite. You were just healed. He just set you free. Who are you to cast judgment on this woman and say she's unclean? You were the definition of being unclean. But here Simon is casting judgment on this woman. And I also find it fascinating that the Gospel of Luke is the only one out of the four Gospels that states Simon as a Pharisee. It's the only one. Remember, in Matthew and Mark, he is the leper. In John, he is the father of Judas. I'm going to get to that later. But in Luke, he's a Pharisee. I believe God is trying to tell us something right here in the open, plain as day, crystal clear. He is calling Simon a Pharisee. Friends, I want to tell you this morning, don't be so religious that you forget the power of resurrection. Friends, don't be so religious that you forget the power of resurrection. Simon was so religious, he forgot the power of resurrection. What is the power of resurrection? It is when Jesus can take the worst of the worst and make them the best of the best. It's when Jesus could take the one that everybody else said would never amount to anything and God says, just give them to me. Let me show you what I can make this person. Let me show you what I can do with this life. I'm going to put it in simpler terms. Maybe you could connect this one with me. It's when they were dancing in the club on Friday night, but on Sunday morning they're dancing in the altar. That's the power of resurrection. It doesn't care how far gone they were. It doesn't care what they used to do. The reality is when they have an encounter with Jesus, Jesus changes everything. Do you believe that he changes everything this morning? And in this moment, Simon must have forgot. He must have forgot that this was him not long ago. And I'm concerned in the church today. Hear me with the best heart possible. I'm concerned in the church today. We have a lot of people who are quick to judge anything and anyone. We have a lot of people in the church today that are acting like Simon. We have forgot that we used to be unclean. We have forgot that we used to be bound. We used to be addicted. We used to not have it all together. Come on, I still don't have it all together. Do we have a witness in the room? Come on, we forget that that used to be us. We used to be broken. We used to be desperate. And we have gotten so caught up in self-righteousness that when someone makes this outrageous, this extraordinary act of surrender, act of worship, act of passion for Jesus, we're quick to cast judgment on it because we have forgot ourselves that that used to be us too. And I love the end of this. Because the end of this, in the context, the whole passage of Scripture, right at the end, Jesus says this, Though her sins are many, I forgive them. 
And then he says this to, to Simon. He says, for those who sin little only give little love. But for those who have sinned a lot, give a lot of love. Or need mercy for a lot, give a lot of love. Jesus is rebuking Simon. And he's saying for those who think they only need a little bit of mercy, only show a little bit of love. But those who understand that they needed a lot of mercy, they needed a lot of rescuing, they needed a lot of saving, they'll show a lot of love. And what he was saying to Simon, what he was saying to Simon at the end of this was that, Simon, you think you've never done anything too wrong. And this is why you haven't honored me the way she has. Because you think, Simon, you haven't done anything compared to what she has. That's why you haven't anointed my head. That's why you haven't cried at my feet. That's why you haven't blessed me. That's why you've ignored all of this. But yet she made it loud and clear for everybody that she loved me, that she wanted me, that I was everything to her. Why? Because she understood that I am nothing without him. And Simon, you have forgot. You have got yourself so strong in yourself. You have forgot that Simon, the same goes for you. You're nothing without me. And he has to rebuke Simon in this moment. Simon's connecting the dots. This morning, the title of my message, friends and family, is don't forget. Simon forgot. I'm grateful. You might, have, you might be saved for 30 years, 20, 10, 5. Last week, I'm grateful you're saved. I'm grateful you've been a member of Calvary for years. I'm grateful that you're following the Lord and you're growing in your relationship and you know the Word of God. Good for you. Keep going. Yes and amen. But don't forget. Don't forget you used to be broken. Don't forget He had to put your mess back together. Don't forget you were nothing without Him. Don't forget all He has done for you. Or you'll become like Simon. You'll be quick to judge others. You'll be quick to cast judgment. You'll be quick to be caught up in self-righteousness and religion. And if you're caught up in religion, you refuse and you forget to recognize the power of resurrection. Because the power of resurrection will fight your flesh. Because the Spirit of God will put people above you, will put people on a platform, will put people speaking into your life and the lives of others that you never thought should be able to do it. God will promote the people you'd never expected Him to promote. And a lot of times i found this to be true. Sometimes God will promote the people I didn't like. I'm like, God, you know how I feel. He's like, I don't care. You know how I feel. How do you feel? That's my son whom I'm well pleased. I love him the same I love you. We can't be like a Simon. We can't forget. Church, may we never be on a self-righteous high horse. May we never forget all he has brought us through. May we never forget all the times his mercy was extended to us. May we never forget to honor Jesus the way he deserves in our lives, in our families. There's an old song, and if I could sing, I would bless you guys so much this morning. But I can't. But there's an old song that says, for every mountain 
you brought me over. For every trial you've seen me through. For every blessing, hallelujah. For this I give you praise. There was a song that remembered every storm he calmed in our life. There's a song that remembered every battle he won. Friend, the reason why I put that in my notes is because that jumps off to me. Because there was a time in my life, I was a little baby. I don't really remember it, but I grew up on the stories that my mom had stage four breast cancer. And we thought she was going to die. And she went in and did all the treatment, had the surgeries. And I was just a little baby. My dad is desperate. My older brother is broken hearted. He's a little kid about four years old. We are broken as a family. We're thinking we're going to lose my mom. And my mom would turn that song on every day for every mountain. You... You've brought me over for every valley you've seen me through. And God healed my mom radically one one day. Cancer left her body. There was no trace of it. And my dad was so moved. My dad went online. I don't know if, well, yeah, went online. My dad went online. He ordered some tickets to the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Come on, somebody. And he took her to New York City after she's been healed of cancer. And he took her to watch the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And they would sing this song, For every mountain you've brought me over, for every valley you've seen me through, for this I give you praise. Come on, my mom didn't forget that she almost lost her life. My mom didn't forget that he was there with her when nobody else was. Come on, friends, we can't forget this morning. Everything God has seen us through. You see, because if we forget, we will end up like Simon. A man who is quick to judge other people's worship and passion for Jesus. A man that is quick to forget that he was once broken and desperate too. He was literally an outcast. He was a leper. But I guess, like I've been saying, he forgot. Friend, who are we to judge other people? Who are we to judge other people's radical expression of worship? Like I said at the beginning of this message, you can never do too much for God. You can never give too much for God. And the reality is, friends, people who give God an extravagant worship probably comes from the fact that God has been an extravagant God to them. We don't know what they've been through. We don't know what mountain they had to climb. We don't know what valley they had to walk. And we don't know what trial and tribulation they had to endure. But I know one thing, God was there with them. God saw them through. And that's why they are the way that they are. But now I'm speaking from a personal experience. You see, I, got, I, I grew up in church, kind of grew distant, but I really got serious with the Lord six years ago. Uh, went off to ministry school, got in the ministry five years ago, been here going on four years, but I really got serious about six and a half to seven years ago with the Lord. And I, when, I, when I'm saying I got serious with the Lord, I mean I truly gave him my life. I was just like, God, I, I died to myself, and I fully surrender to your will and your way. Uh, I dropped all my scholarships. I wanted to be a dentist. Uh, I dropped every offer I had. People called me crazy for it. They said, you'll never make a living in ministry. You were going to be a dentist. You work Monday through Thursday and have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off. Come on, somebody. I still work Monday through Thursday and have Friday, Saturday off. Not Sunday, but Friday, Saturday. Come on, God knows what he's doing. Come on, somebody. But anyway, I was made fun of for pursuing God in this way. And from personal experience, I was told that I, I'm too radical, that I'm too on fire, that my worship is too loud, that it doesn't take all that Holy Ghost. 
that why are you so wild and crazy? And the crazy thing is, is it wasn't by worldly people. It wasn't by lost people. When lost people would look at me, they would be like, man, there's something real about you. Because everybody else I see, they're fake. They buy into what we're doing. You're different. Lost people didn't judge me. It was the religious people. It was church folk. It was the people that sit on the pews on Sunday. They were the ones. Now, you guys are great. I'm not talking about y'all. But they were the ones that said I was too radical. They were the ones that said it didn't take all that Holy Ghost. They were the ones. The religious people were the ones. They were the Simons. They were the Simons that was casting judgment on me in my pursuit for Jesus. And finally, I had to come to the conclusion. And to be honest, you know, I'm a young man. I'm still working on this. I'll be real with you. I'm still working on this one. And I'm growing in this one. And I know God will see me through that the opinions of man doesn't matter. And if God is pleased, God is pleased. And if man don't like me, man don't like me. I'm still working on that one. I'll be real with you. But I was in a service on Saturday night or on Friday night. And the pastor blessed my heart. He said it was about 27 years ago he was preaching in a service. He's pastoring his church. And every Sunday before that, they would look at him every time he preached. There's about a row, about 10 of them sitting on a row. And every time he would preach, they would look at him like this. When he would really get into it, turn to your neighbor. Judging everything he said. He's a young preacher at the time. Just ridiculing him. He's just too young to be preaching like this. He can't speak into my life. And he said, finally, get this true story. He said, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost spoke to him, said, rebuke him. And he stopped his sermon, all ten of them on the row. And he said, I just want to let you know, I'm not concerned about your opinions. I break the fear of man off of me right now. I'm not dealing with no religion. I'm not dealing with no Simon. I'm not dealing with it. And he said, in the name of Jesus, I release you in the middle of his sermon. Then he came back and started preaching, and they all responded to the altar. Come on. And he said for 27 years, he's been free from the opinions of man. And he hasn't walked in the fear of man. If he's pleasing God, that is all that matters. Amen? I might have just got free right now. (laughs) But you see, my answer to all these people at that time of my life that said I was too radical, I'm too crazy, it doesn't take that much, why you read your Bible like it's a comic book, you're in that thing all the time, people were just, I mean, and this is church folk. I'm like, you lead the Bible study, man. And you're saying, I'm reading it too much. And it's just, it was just, it messed me up. And then finally, I was just like, just like I said to you guys, you know why I do this? It's because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what mountain I had to climb. You don't know what valley I had to walk. And this is true for all of us, friend. You don't know what trial and tribulation I had to endure. You don't know, but to God be the glory. He never left me. To God be the glory. He saved me. He healed me. He filled me to overflowing. This is why I worship like I do, live like I do, believe like I do. This is why. You don't know. You want to know why I'm radical? Because he's been radical to me. You want to know why I'm loud in worship? 
and I stand on the truth of God's word and I live a holy life and I burn for the things of God because he's been good to me. And I want him to know I'm trying with everything in me to be good to him. The reason why I'm this way is because he loves me. And I want him to know with everything in me, I love him too. You don't know what I've been through. And even in those settings, Simons would look at me and religious people would look at me and say, You're 24, what have you been through? And I'd say, I can't tell you what I'd say. Listen, I've come a long way. I've gone under some good leaders and shepherds, but I said, you wish you were 24. And then I was like. <laughs> Thank God for good shepherds. Otis has spoke a lot of wisdom into my life. I was, a, I was fireball, man. I was just like. But in this moment, what have you been through? You're 24. I said, you don't know why I am the way that I am. You know, because the reality is you haven't listened to a thing I've preached because you're so caught up that young people can't be used or that people shouldn't worship like this or people shouldn't pray like this or church shouldn't look like this. So you haven't listened to anything. And the reason why I am the way that I am is because I was separated from eight of my siblings when I was born. I lost all of them except three. I was put into foster care. My birth family died. I grew up, my great parents, my mom and my dad, they loved me, they adopted me, they gave me everything I could have ever imagined. My dad is the greatest dad on the earth. I'll debate you for it. I will defend that man. He's given me everything on a silver spoon. He has been the example of a heavenly father. He has loved me. But I came from a broken place. I didn't know who I was or where I came from. I would go to school as a kid. And I would get bullied as a kid because I didn't have a real family. Because I didn't know who, I didn't know where I came from. They'd call me the misfit because I didn't know who I was. Somehow they all knew. I guess I was in the newspaper. Small town, I don't know. Kid gets adopted, newspaper. But the whole place knew my story. I got bullied through school until I could finally defend myself. And got good at sports and it kind of hushed. Because they were all fake. But I had to go through these things. And then the people that adopted me, my mom, my precious mom, and my precious dad, who are still outside of my wife and my children, are the dearest people to me. They get a divorce when I'm seven. Then they get remarried when I'm nine. Then they divorce again when I'm 11. I went through some stuff as a kid. The only people I knew as mom and dad began to have fighting and arguments and had discourse and didn't understand each other. And, and I could see this and now my identity is being shaken because I'm afraid that I'm going to have to choose which one. And they chose me and I never wanted to be in a position where I had to choose them. And I was fighting these things as a kid. When they divorced the second time, they did it. I don't know if there's any way of doing it the right way. There's not, but they loved us. And they kind of made up for the holes in which all that caused. And they were great parents to us and still are. But man, I went through hell. Not from how they treated me. They were the best parents. But I went through hell in my own mind. Of how I thought about myself and who I was, where I came from. And I leaned on God. And I found out something 
that when everybody else wasn't there, he was always there. And I found out when I didn't have the, question, the answers to every question, he was the answer to every question. And I found out really quick that he truly is who he says he is. So I say all that to tell you again, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what, what mountain I had to climb. You don't know what valley I had to walk. You don't know what trial and tribulation I had to endure. But to God be the glory. To God be the glory. And if we went around this room from front to back, from side to side, we would all say the same thing. The reason why we love God the way we do is because he's been so faithful to us. We don't know any of we. I want to know all your stories, but the reality is I don't know all your stories. But I bet my bottom dollar that every single one of you have a testimony of the faithfulness of God. That's why you are the way you are. And that's why you worship the way you worship. And that's why you give the way you give. Pray the way you pray. Love the way you love. Because he's been so good. And this is why Mary has busted in on the scene. And Mary's here. And she doesn't care what's happening in the house. And she gets right to him. And she gets down on her knees. And she's at the feet of Jesus. And she's weeping uncontrollably. And she's taking her tears and washing his feet and drying it with her hair. And she's kissing his feet. And she's loving on this man. She's giving him everything. But she was. Doesn't say Jesus was upset at her. Doesn't say Jesus was caught off guard by her. Doesn't say anything like that. Jesus was moved by her. And Simon was over here like this. And Jesus heard his thoughts and rebuked him. Why did he rebuke him? Because Jesus wanted Simon to do what she was doing. Jesus didn't just rebuke him because he was being a punk. Jesus rebuked him because he said, Simon, I wish this was you. Simon, I wish this was you. I wish this was you. Friends, don't be like Simon. This is my message to you today. Don't forget all the good God has done in your life. Don't forget a thing. And don't be like Simon. Instead, be like Mary. Be a person that runs right to him. Be a person that's not concerned about the people on the left or the right or in the front or behind, be a person that is obsessed with Him, that loves Him, that wants Him. Don't be a Simon. Because if you are a Simon, you'll be quick to judge other people. You'll be caught up in self-righteousness and religion. And lastly, what John the Revelator tells us. The beloved one. If you're like a Simon, in John's account, John says, Simon is the father of Judas. And if you remain like a Simon, you'll raise up a Judas.
If you remain like a Simon, you'll raise up a Judas. You say, what in the world do you mean by that? You'll raise up someone that will betray Jesus, that will rebel, that will turn their back on God. If you remain a Simon, you'll raise up a Judas. But if you're like a Mary, if you're like a Mary, friend, God will use your life. God will be moved by your worship. And get this. Get this. God will go after your enemies. Because what's fascinating about this is she comes in on the scene and immediately in the story, she has, a, she has an enemy. Boom, right away. Mary comes in, she hasn't even done anything. And right away, she has an enemy. And it's Simon. And what does God do? He goes after her enemy. Friend, if you're like Mary, he's moved by your worship. He takes it in. He loves it. He accepts it. He wants it. He can do something with your life. But you best believe he'll defend you. He'll go after your enemies. He'll stand up for you when you don't know how to stand up for yourself. This is the God we serve. So this morning, God is calling us to be like the woman with the alabaster box. To be like Mary. And he's calling us not to be like Simon. Friends, I I feel the Holy Spirit. The worship team could come back up here. I feel the Holy Spirit. And as I'm preaching this word, delivering this word, maybe some of you are getting caught up in a moment. And God's dealing with your heart in areas that you might have cast judgment. In areas where you might have been judgmental. In areas where you might have been guilty of saying, I don't know why they worship like that. I don't know why they pray like that. Not in a way of just curiosity, but in a way that's been judging. In a way that's been condemning. God is dealing with your heart this morning and not trying to point fingers or call anybody out. I'm just saying, let the Lord touch you this morning. And if that's ever been you, if that's ever been you, friend, repent this morning. God doesn't want you to stay like Simon. God wants you to end up like Mary. I'm not saying you've got to run out your eye on cartwheel and do a somersault and a backflip. But if you do it unto God, to God be the glory. I'm just telling you to love Him with everything in you. To worship Him with everything in you. And don't be so quick to look at the others. Can we just let the Lord deal with us this morning? Sometimes I'm afraid we come into church and we're so caught up with what God's going to speak to everybody else. And we forget that God wants to speak to us. This morning, let God deal with you. God wants to make us like Mary's. And we could go into Matthew and Mark's account And dive into how precious the alabaster box was. And how much it meant. 
God wants something that costs you something. God wants lives that are laid down. God wants people that are all the way in. And he's looking at Simon and I love this. He literally says it. You're a Pharisee. And the echo of God's heart is, Simon, I wish you were all the way in. Like this girl. And then in John's passage, he's the father of Judas. And Judas is the one that speaks up in John's passage. Like father, like son. In John's account, Judas is the one that speaks up. And says, all that stuff, man, that was so expensive. We could have done so much with it. And Jesus rebukes him. Because God's looking for people that are fully given, fully surrendered, and deeply in love. Friends, I believe God wants to deal with two things this morning. I feel like God wants to get a judgmental spirit out of the church. I feel this by the Holy Ghost. God wants to get a judgmental spirit out of the church. Number two, God is calling you back to a place of worship. A place of fresh surrender. A place of radical obedience and adoration for God. So friends, If you could, could you just stand to your feet? We're going to go back for a moment. As Jake begins to play, we're going to sing here in a minute. I just got to obey the Holy Ghost. Simon. I just hear the kindness of God. Simon. Yes, I'm rebuking you for being judgmental. Yes, I'm telling you to get it together. You're too caught up in your religion. that You're missing what's happening. But Simon, besides all of that, beside all of that, Simon. You forgot. Simon, you forgot. Simon, you forgot you were broken. Simon, you forgot you were an outcast. You were a leper, Simon. And if it wasn't for the goodness of me, Simon, you wouldn't be healed and made whole. You have forgotten. Don't forget, church. I don't know your stories. But under the power and the authority of the Holy Ghost, Some of you used to be bound by alcohol. And God stepped in. Some of you used to be bound by drugs. 
God stepped in. Some of you used to be sick. Death was knocking on the door. And God stepped in. Some of you were so lost in the world. From one boy to the other, from one girl to the other. You were lost. And God stepped in. You were broken, helpless, no place to go, no place to turn. But God stepped in. God is looking at Simon and saying, Simon, you forgot that I stepped in for you too. And I'm afraid the church, not all of us, but definitely some. I travel and preach at a lot of churches. Definitely some. We have forgotten that we were once broken too. And my whole thing this morning, I'm just going to drill it into you. Don't forget. Don't forget the goodness of God to you, the faithfulness of God to you, the mercy of God to you. Don't forget. Instead, remember it. Every time you remember it, not in a way that will bring you down, but in a way that will bring you up. God, you were faithful then and you'll be faithful now. God, you touched me then. I believe you could touch me now. This is one of the beauties of it. This is how we're going to close. That when you remember what God has done for you, and how God has been faithful to you, the Bible says that God doesn't just do that for certain people. The Bible says, doesn't say that it's only special people that get special treatment. That's not Scripture. Scripture says what God has done for one, He, he will do for another. And the beauty of this is the whole time Jesus is like, Simon, can you see what I'm trying to paint? What I did for you is what I'm about to do for her. And I want to encourage somebody in this room this morning that what God did for you, he's going to do for your children. I feel the Lord on that. What God did for you, he's going to do for your kids. And what God did for you, he's going to do for your brother and your sister. I feel it by the Holy Ghost. What God did for you, Daddy, He's doing it for your son right now. What God did for you, Mother, He's doing it for your daughter. What God did for you, Mama, He's doing it for your son. What God did for you, Daddy, He's doing it for your baby girl. What God did for you, He'll do for somebody else.